Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. Welcome to the Fairways of Life show, folks. Pleasure to have your company on this Monday from wherever you are joining us around the world. It has been a long time since we have been inside of this studio, and we're glad to have your company here. Dom, how long has it been since uh, since we've done a show here? Is it two weeks, three weeks? Oh, we might be pushing, we might be pushing a month, Matt. You know, it seems a like that, but now that I'm thinking time. about it, Andrew, didn't we, we did a show Thursday of, of Masters Week when I had to come back to catch a flight back up to New Striking. Adam, I can already tell on your end, you've got to reconnect. It looks like you're, and now it looks like we got you back. We just took a huge lightning hit right at the beginning of the show here. Uh, so <laughs> you're saying, Dom, from, from the time that we were here for a week or more, you think it was a month or so in this yeah, studio? Yeah, I think so. In that neighborhood, yeah. That sounds about right to me. Wow. Yeah, it's that That's time a long of year. time. It's a long time. It's it's definitely a long time. It'll be our next busy our next busy uh, season, if you will, or stretch. I think we're going to be. I'm due to be in studio. I right now in studio for PGA Championship and and the U.S. Open, which is in uh, at LA Country Club. But I'm on site for the Open at Royal Liverpool, and then the Ryder cup in September. So September will will probably be overseas for a long time. And in July, I'm guessing that's going to be at least a week or so or more week and a half on the road. So we'll see, we'll see how it all plays itself out. The PGA tour continues to roll along, of course, and the designated event that was this past week, the RBC heritage. I, I mean, I don't know if you guys are watching this on the television side, you can see that leaderboard. I think it delivered. I think these have been delivering. Not that I ever had any question about that in fairness, when we were talking about designated events versus non-designated events, especially going into 2024 and how the designated events will have limited fields. Obviously they're going to have the high purses. They're going to uh, award higher FedEx cup points. In other words, once you're in, it's easier to stay in because regardless of where you finish in a limited field, you're going to get more points equivalent than if it's a non-designated event significantly. Uh, And to get into a designated event, it's going to be difficult. You have to be playing some exceptionally good golf if you're on the outside looking in to make it. But one thing that was never in question was you bring together the best players on the earth uh, at least collectively in in numbers that go beyond say you know and I'm, I'm not taking anything away from from live they've got great players there but they're not deep uh the PGA tour is going to have great players and they're going to go deep it's just but it's just pure numbers and I'm talking about here pure math because even the designated event of 2024 is going to be a minimum uh, what's a, uh I'll just get my math right live is 48 players and the PGA Tour is talking between 70 to 80 players, so say 75 players. So you've got 25, 26, what, 27? Is my math right there, Dom? Uh, more on the in a, a designated event in 2024 in the PGA Tour? Does that sound right? Assuming I mean, I that Liv... in the neighborhood, yeah. Assuming Liv stays at 48. I mean, we don't know. I, I, they've given us no indication that they plan on changing uh, any of their... 
requirements or any of their structure. But the only reason I'm saying that in that way is that you know we continually hear that Liv wants, expects, and frankly deserves world ranking points. But they've got to make sure that their form, their formula, their structure conforms with how the world rankings work. I do think that there's been an effort made by Liv to try to take away the integrity of the world rankings, you know, basically saying, look, if you don't have us in your world rankings, then you guys are, what are these rankings worth? Right. And there's an argument to be made to say, well, when you got a guy that, that almost two guys that almost won the masters that are playing on live and they're not getting any world ranking points when they tee it up again, there's a problem there. There's something not right. Uh, I I'll get I'll I understand that there's going to be having just said that I understand that there's going to be a lot of venom from people coming back and going well they made their bed they got to sleep in it da, da, da. I get all that I get I get the fact that that there's a large constituency that don't want them to have world ranking points which is a separate argument from do they deserve to have it as a body that competes my contention is they do. And but my other contention is you got to find a way to make it work in the formula. And it's not 54 holes, by the way. There's 54 hole leagues that get world ranking points. So whereas that's always the first line of attack, people go, well, they're only 54 holes. Well, that's not strong enough. That's not the reason to not give them world ranking points. There are other factors. There has to be means of access. There has to be means of ascent. There has to be means of qualifying uh, things of that nature. But. And that's that's the only thing that seems odd to me is instead of sitting back and declaring that it's ridiculous that you don't have the points, world ranking points. And again, I'm sitting here telling you, yeah, in a lot of ways it is ridiculous, but it's based upon hopefully, presumably, and maybe that's naive of me to say it's based upon what they're not doing in terms of their structure and what they need to do in order to fit into the criteria of the world ranking points and not about being blocked by politics. I have these conversations all the time, all the time. I'm sure you guys do in your world as well. And I, and again, I'm not denying that there are large constituencies out there that despise live for a variety of reasons. I, I know that you guys exist. All I'm saying is everybody that I bump into, everybody says to me, they kind of with a shrug of the shoulder goes, eh, you know, we don't know all the source of funds for a lot of things. Are we truly going to start to scrutinize ownership of every league, of every team, to see what they're invested in and where that fits on our our balance of of what we think is morally right or morally wrong, right? Uh, so somebody said to me the other day, which which makes sense. They said, "Hey, that the other night when you when you because I was I was up in uh, I flew into New York, I drove into Connecticut, I was at NBC Sports, and they said, hey, didn't you meet with your buddy on, on Saturday?' Yeah, yeah, it was great. How'd you get there? Uh, I took an Uber." The exact same fund. How many, I mean, how many of us this weekend used an Uber, right? Or the airport or wherever you go. That exact same fund that's funding Live has dramatically more money invested in Uber than they do in the game of golf. All right. Where's our moral judgment on ourselves, I guess, right? So 
so what I'm saying is when I'm bumping into people and they're talking to me, most people are going, look, people work, you know, we're, we're casting it from the standpoint of, of professional sports. And in this case, professional golf, uh, people work for a variety of different people, right? How many people are benefiting from either unscrupulous, uh, sources ultimately of where people have generated their wealth or they do, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about this, but all I'm saying is, is I think the, the reason to hate live is because of their source of funds is getting a little overplayed unless you use that same standard and criteria of every facet of the sports that you love and really understand how and where and what that income is derived from and but perhaps more importantly how it applies to you yourself do you know where where this fund has invested and i'm talking about huge huge companies companies that we all probably consume probably on a daily basis right like dom if i'm not mistaken wasn't wasn't Visa one of the companies as well? I mean, was, there was dozens and dozens of them. Yeah, I can get the filings open if you want to go heavy on this. I can. Show I don't want to go heavy. I'm just saying it's. Yeah. It it just seems yeah, to me wide, that it's I, very wide ranging. They've got like any other large fund that has billions upon billions of dollars. They have money invested in a lot of different things. Right. So uh, all I'm saying is that. I think that, that when, when you go through what we just discussed, and it's all fact. I'm not really expressing opinion here. It's all fact, what I just told you. Then you have to get the, what you come back down to, essentially, is percentage of ownership. Right? Which is really interesting because, again, we're talking about one's fountain of, of moral outrage, the, the basis upon which one can say, no, this is the reason why I'm angry at these guys. It's, it's right here. This is it. And... Okay, well, percentage of ownership, which which is why I've said that if I were in a conversation with Greg Norman, I'd look him in the eye and say, why don't you dilute the public investment fund? Right? Why don't you go out and try to find sponsors so that you get to a point where the dollars that are backing from the public investment fund, and I'm not saying the doc- dollars are going to be reduced. I'm saying that it's it's reduced as a percentage of overall Influx. Now, maybe they're trying this anyways. Maybe maybe what I'm saying is ridiculous, and of course that's what they're trying to do. Don't know. But if they could dilute the the source of funding, the public investment fund, down to a point where uh, it was consummate with the at least hundreds of millions of dollars, in some case billions of dollars, that they have invested in other corporations that we all use uh, on a on many times a daily basis. Would that be something that would be more palpable, that we could say, yeah, okay, I could live with that? Because I've asked you the same question from the beginning. Do you hate live just because they're not the PGA Tour? Where you know my philosophy on this, it is okay to love the PGA Tour and to be, if you want to be, at worst indifferent to live or look at it and go, well, let's just see what happens. Well, let's see what it develops into, because I don't think one has to be a, the definitive death of another. And there's a lot of players, more so and more so, 
especially through the the masters where i again my my opinion is my my suspicion is that somebody behind the scenes said to somebody hey let's let's cool it on all of this heavy live versus the pga tour stuff the war the, the front lines of the war are not here at augusta national the thing we have here at augusta national are it, it, it is the masters that's it that's that's where what we should be focusing on but short of that you hear more and more where even Rory McIlroy, who's who's viewed as kind of the, I heard it one one article today that I read about uh, his old manager and his comments, which I, I think I'd like to share with you because I think it was pretty fascinating. Uh, Chubby Chandler, uh, he called him the mouthpiece for the PGA Tour. I'm not sure if if that phrase is uh, offensive to some people or not. I I don't particularly find it such, but uh, given that definition if Rory is in fact the mouthpiece of the PGA Tour have people ignored the fact that Rory said it's time for people to come together and have conversations right because again the on the other side the people who now hate Rory because he has spoken out you know for the benefit of the PGA Tour and what he believes in there which I don't have a problem with at all I'd rather have honesty on all sides but they hate him now. I no longer like Rory McIlroy because he's he's anti-live. And it's I'm telling you, the world we live in is so ardently red state, blue state, meaning that if you have an opinion that's different than someone else's, theirs is wrong and yours is right. And you hate the other side. I mean, it's it's crazy I, what I see it in, on the political realms all the time. And I basically come to the to the conclusion to me personally, conviction. That the vast majority of us exist somewhere in the middle. And that the the rhetoric, if you will, and in some case the leadership, which is more concerning, on either side respectively, is controlled by the extremes on those sides respectively. So each side can look to the other side and point out things that are, in my opinion, as someone in the middle, ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Can you believe that they're, they're telling us what we can do, 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 can't do, blah, 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 on either side? And it's because that the leadership, the direction, I don't know when this happened or how it happened, and maybe, again, I'm naive and it's always been the case. I don't remember it being this extreme. Where everything is controlled by the extremes, the message points, etc. So when it comes to the game of golf, I actually think what we're starting to see is I think we are starting to see players themselves try to find a pathway through this. Because ultimately, you've got to ask the question, is the divide a moral divide, or is the divide simply business competition? If Liv was owned by Elon Musk, and again, even bringing up Elon Musk, I realize it's polarizing now, right, because he bought Twitter. Uh, or can I say Jeff Bezos? I mean, I'm trying to think of billionaires that, that would have the resources to buy something as big as that. Uh, if, if it was someone that bought them that you weren't repulsed by for whatever reason on either side, would you feel differently about the situation? Right. What are you hearing from people, Dom? Are people waiting? I'm just curious what what the thoughts are. Yeah, we have some folks commenting early on this morning. Uh, The question of the day uh, sort of 
piggybacking off of the conversation that you're having, Matt, is does Liv deserve world golf ranking points? Are you kidding me? Simple, Did you just right? put that out while we were talking about it? Yeah. Oh, all right. Fair, fair enough. I was about to declare you. <laughs> well, well, you, think, savant. you think I picked their question yesterday or something? <laughs> I thought you were like Nostradamus. <laughs> no. no, no, I'm an idiot. I, I, I'm like, man is talking about Liv. What about Liv? <laughs> That's what I did. But so far, the answer is 82% yes. Uh, they do deserve world golf ranking points. Uh, we're getting a lot of good mornings, hellos. Well, hello, hello, yes. Um, Jake, Jake Christopher writes, Liv sucks, <laughs> which is that everyone is entitled to their opinion. And they I are entitled to their the opinion. Fact, I've always said the same thing, Dom. It's so polarizing. <laughs> yeah, but it's a buffet. It is an absolute yeah. buffet. I don't know if you've ever gone to a Golden Corral, but they should make documentaries on that place. Just watching what people do when they go in there, how they feed. It should be on like one of those channels. And what I'm saying to you is that what, when you go through like endless rows of food, when you go through it, there's going to be something there that you think is absolutely the most delectable, delicious thing you've ever put into your mouth and someone else thinks is repulsive. That's True. okay. That's exactly what I'm saying. It is okay that people have different opinions. It doesn't mean Agreed. that you're because your opinion is different than somebody else's that you are the steaming pile of dung in the in the pile. Although someone's going to think that on one side or the other. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Bob writes: the only problem is how to equate live and PGA Tour in the world rankings. That is a problem, Bob, and I think that's one of the major hurdles that. Um, that's not a problem. That they already have an answer for it. They they have it based on strength of field. So if Liv gets world ranking points based on the current structure of the world ranking, uh, which was, you correct me, Dom, six months, a year ago, whatever they put it, I thought it was last August, if I'm not mistaken. And it's based upon the average of everyone in the field. It's not based upon a, a tiny field. It's based upon the average of everyone in the field. So Liv, if they get world ranking points, are going to be good at the top and very bad at the bottom. I, so see, it's going to mitigate. Know, I, I don't know if I agree with that being an acceptable way to equate the rankings. The reason I say that is because I don't think there's another tour of any kind anywhere in the world that is part of the World Golf Rankings whose field is identical every week. I think it's, it's a weird way to structure the rankings. Yeah, but I don't think they can be. I think that's part of the problem. Where the, where the world ranking points, I mean, the world ranking is going to be okay if your field is the same every week. If people had an opportunity to gain entry into your field and say they didn't or it just happened to be the same people that did, meaning qualifiers and things of that nature. The world ranking points wants to make sure that 48 guys who are really good professionals that create their own tour don't submit for world ranking points every week and they're awarded world, world ranking points, but they don't hit all the criteria. That's my understanding is what, again, and I, I may be so naive in this thing. It might be about politics behind the scenes and I'm not realizing yeah, it, but my I think understanding politics is plays a role and there's not really a way around that. I think that's part of the problem with this is a percentage of this is that go ahead and read what's on the screen right has now. has nothing Don. to do with the reality modernizing of the field who should be getting what. Modernizing the field calculation, formerly known as strength of field, 
the distribution of ranking points following the conclusion of a tournament. This is from the this is the World Golf Rankings own video that we're playing in the background this of us talking. This is a new system, yeah. Removing tour minimums, home tour ratings, flagship events. That was where politics were playing in. Where over the years they were able to go, hey, we're the XYZ tour. And if you tee it up on XYZ tour, you're going to get a minimum amount of world ranking points. Minimum. And the world ranking organization said, no, we're not doing that anymore. Now that hurts. It's made the PGA Tour much, much stronger. It's made everybody else weaker. Uh, but but it's, it, you know, when you say it's weaker, it's made them weaker because they don't have the same depth of field. They just don't. So there were some people pretty mad about that, but at the same time, you kind of look at it from a position of fairness and go, how can you be mad when you're not artificially guaranteed a minimum when your field doesn't justify the minimum? So what else you got, Tom? Oh, there's plenty of stuff still coming in. Um, and if you're watching on the TV side, you can see we're, we're playing, as Matt referenced there, the, the official World Golf Rankings released a complicated video explaining their complicated system after they redid it. <laughs> uh, Paul writes, Matt and even Dom now have fair comments. Courage, he writes. I don't know if I have courage. I wouldn't. I you know, it's that. an interesting <laughs> comment. But that, who, who wrote that into you, Dom? That was uh, Paul. And Paul also Paul. wrote, the biased, US, the biased U.S. golf media propaganda is disgraceful. I think that's a little bit too strong, but it but, is an issue that there is, like any other news organization, Fox or CNN, right? Every, everybody sort of is under somebody's umbrella, and that umbrella is on a side and has yeah. an agenda, and that agenda will typically funnel down underneath that umbrella. And that complicates things, and I think it irritates folks uh, like Paul and others who are just looking for information. Telling me what's going on. Tell me what this means. Tell me, tell me this fact over here and this fact over here, and that's it. And there's not a lot of that anymore. And well, that's why I thought I think- it was interesting. That, that's why I kind of paused and asked you who wrote that because Paul used the word courage. Yeah. Right now. Now, courage, in my mind, would be defined as taking action. Through the overcoming of fear. To do despite of. And. It's it's just really interesting that to have a conversation that we're trying to have that is balanced and fair to think that that would require courage. In this time again, relates to issues I think that are a lot bigger than our conversations about tours and golf. Well, I think it has to do with the umbrella that I'm talking about, Matt. I mean, the, the, if you want to call it courage, but I do not. But it, no, it's talking of Dom, if I may for a second, sorry to interrupt you. It's talking about consequence for actions. And when one has courage, they are overcoming the fear for what might have happened if, or might still well happen if, but they do it anyway. Courage. And for well, someone to say it takes the, courage. The other entities are under an umbrella. And if they take a stance or try and be in the gray area, they're more likely going to lose their job, more than likely, because they're under an umbrella that's following a certain agenda. 
I'm talking about the golf media now. You're talking so about if you're forced owned by to a parent company that, that yeah. isn't direct via is it directly against something else for whether you're on the side of tour, whether you're on the side of live, and there's a lot of money involved here. We're talking about a lot of TV money, a lot of TV money, and you know billions of dollars. And so when that's when that's what's involved, when that's what's at stake, you're going to have entities protecting essentially their entire business, however they need to do it. And so that's how you end up like this. Anyway, let me read a couple more things here. Yeah, yeah. Because we've got a lot of stuff we can go over. Um, the requirements for the world ranking points when they created the tour. Until the world ranking organization changes the requirements, no points. That's what he claims. Michael writes, what's going to happen to the Asian tour? Oh, wait a minute. Wait, hold on one second. Official- hold on. Go, go okay. back to the no points. Yeah. The last sentence he wrote was what? He said, until the world ranking organization changes the requirements, no points. Yeah, see, I don't see so it Kevin going that way. I think the world I think ranking it, needs to change. I don't see it going that way. I think Liv has to adapt to what they need to do to get the world ranking points. That's what I've been saying. You look at the criteria, well, and again, unless it's politics, you look at the criteria and go, okay, uh, limited fields are obviously okay. We're going to have limited fields on, on multiple tours. 54 holes is okay because you're currently giving points to 54 hole tours what else do we need to do a uh, monday qualifier let's well, get them whatever it is let's figure it out and let's do it so the okay this is very complicated but he, here's where it, this is my opinion i'm not on anybody's side i don't i actually really don't care i just like golf and here's where i think it's guaranteed that they will get ranking points somehow and it's based purely on politics the four majors, in order to be successful on television, in order to maximize ratings and sponsor dollars, right, they need the polarization of the best players from both tour, in, tours, in my opinion. And you also, like, look at what happened at the Masters. You cannot have – it's not fair. It's literally not fair, regardless of where you stand morally, to say that Brooks Kepka, who just made a personal business decision – is not allowed to play in said event just because. He almost won the Masters. He should have been there. He's good enough to be there. He earned his way there, and now he's earned his way back. So it's completely unfair to not allow someone like that to even play in the event. So because of that, from a politics standpoint purely, you're talking about TV money, you're talking about ratings, you, you kind of have to have those players play in the majors. And if that's going to take place in a year and two years, where they've set it up so that we've got to find a pathway for the, quote, best players in, in the world across all tours to make their way to the majors. There has to be qualifying paths. With that as a baseline understanding, I'd be shocked if they don't find a way to get ranking points somehow. Now, one of the next comments I'm going to read plays into that. Michael writes, what's going to happen to the Asian tour? and awarding official world golf ranking points when the live guys start showing up more and more at their events in, cre- in order to qualify for points and strength and field increases. He's kind of answering his own question there. They've gone sort of in cahoots with the Asian tour. The Asian tour gets world ranking points. Now, I, again, it's, it's irony, right, Matt? Because now you have live players that are going to play more events, like possibly the same number of total events they played on tour, which they were complaining about nonstop. But now they're doing that, playing maybe an additional, say, at four to eight events on the Asian tour so that they can garner some world ranking points. Remember, Abraham Anser won the Saudi International, I think it was the end of last year. That was world ranking points. 
that's the kind of stuff that's going to keep him in the top 50 because he won on the Asian tour. Is it the same thing as winning yesterday like Matt Fitzpatrick did on the, in the RBC Heritage on the PGA Tour where he's going to get astronomical world ranking points in comparison to what Abraham, Abraham Answer did at the Saudi International? No, he's going to get way more points than, than Abraham Answer did. But right now, when Abraham Answer plays in Adelaide in Australia this week on the Live Tour, he gets nothing. So I think these guys are going to start playing in, I don't know, call it four to eight Asian tour events. And to Michael's question, they will get ranking points there. And especially if they play well, and the more of them that show up, the higher the, the field ranking is going to get based on the new, you know, wacky strokes gain model, Matt, or whatever it is. So there's a lot, there's, there's a lot going on here and there's more stuff I can read through, but am I making sense or am I just rambling myself off a cliff here <laughs> no it's fine it's it's it what it comes down to is if they if and they can do it they can use the asian tour as a path and people will hear that and go yeah but it's the asian tour so how much travel does it require etc bear in mind what's now called the dp world tour formerly known as the european tour used to play in china and used to play in russia in other words they play all over the world so the name of the tour no longer represents a definitive geographic area in which they compete. It may be primary, but it's not exclusionary. So it is entirely possible, and I don't know how much of this stuff may be going on behind the scenes. If, if I were in that position and, and I looked at it and said, okay, well, what we need to do is we need to have Asian tour events all over the world. United States, you need to have them in blah, 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 wherever it is. And, yes, the, the strength of field is going to be very bad by comparison to the top tier, which is the PGA Tour in the world. But you still are going to get world ranking points. It's going to be much smaller and much slower and much harder, but it can exist. It, it does. It is a potential pathway. Uh, the other thing that I don't know, and, again, I will admit my ignorance on this, is – how or why that live because they have invested hundreds of millions of dollars committed to, to the Asian tour, why they wouldn't make their live events, coach sanction events. And would that warrant them getting Asian tour world ranking points? I just don't know the answer to these things, you know, and, and whether that's being thought of or work behind the scenes, it seems so elementary that I would think it'd have to have been, thought of in some way anyway keep your keep your messages coming in uh for for our part I, again i go back to paul's comments there that wrote in and that d described what we're talking about here as as being in the possession of courage uh i'm a little trying to sort that because what we're discussing as a matter of balance and trying to understand all sides and give perspectives journalistically that should not represent the possession or, or any cognizant use of courage. To me, that should be absolutely fundamental to any discussion for anyone that projects themselves as a media entity that this is not an editorial. This is trying to understand all sides and present a fair, equitable, if you please, perspective of all of the issues. Otherwise, I think you have to declare where you're coming from and why. 
What are your conflicts? What are your agendas? What are, what are your associations that, that exist beneath the surface? Right? So I appreciate that Paul would say that, it, that it's taking courage to have this conversation. I would hope that it shouldn't have to. I would hope it's just about trying to be journalistically balanced. All right, when we come back, I want to talk to you about what Matthew Fitzpatrick did at the RBC Heritage. Uh, Yeah, so he wins the U.S. Open at Brookline, right? And there's something about, especially, especially majors where they're at a one-off event, one-off location, and that's the nature of the the other three majors, not as much with the Open as it is particularly uh, with the U.S. Open and the PGA, and it's going to be less with the U.S. Open, too, as they go to these anchor sites more often. But it's been a long time since we've been at Brookline. And in the interim, between the times that, that the game goes back for such an event of that stature, many times, as it as it was, these different golf courses uh, get tweaked a little bit, changed a little bit, right? And so it causes people to wonder when you see, for example, what Matt Fitzpatrick did at the country club for the U.S. Open, and you go, you know what? It happens at, at majors. Somebody finds that one week. Somebody finds that intent and effort and circumstance, him being back with the family that that he was with when he won the U.S. Amateur at the Country Club, et cetera. All of these storylines converge, and they have that magical week, and they do something that will forever see them distinguished in the history books, and they win. And it's a major championship win. And then you see that player, and it's natural in our in recency bias of any of us, right? That immediately follow him. You go, hey, is this a new fill in the player's name here? And if you want to talk to it in the context of Matt Fitzpatrick, is this the new Matt Fitzpatrick? Added speed to his swing, didn't lose appreciably his accuracy, and we expect great things. And you know, he factors. He's okay. I mean, the book of Matt Fitzpatrick has always been that he plays well at difficult places. Right, where you don't have to go massively under par, but you have to hang around par at least and usually get somewhere between, say, 6-12 under. Places that are that difficult for the best players in the world. Look for Matt Fitzpatrick because he just doesn't get himself in a lot of trouble. But somewhere, whether it be us or whether it be the player themselves, the questions are going to get asked. When are you going to win again? And where? And then if there's a delay, then the the broader questions, the more severe questions start to become, can you win again? Well, Matt Fitzpatrick did, and he was asked the question following. Does this win in some way validate your victory at the U.S. Open at Brookline? That is part of what you're going to hear. When we come back, the Fairways of Life show is presented by the PGA Tour Superstore, the number one golf retailer in all of the land. Coast to coast, these big, beautiful stores that continue to open. Wherein 
You can find whatever your game needs, whether you swing it, whether you wear it, whether you learn from it. You can shop with the pros at your happy place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Log on to PGATourSuperstore.com and get started today. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs. The Tour Ball reinvented. Nothing feels quite like hitting a PXG iron. That's because we use hollow body construction coupled with the thinnest club face in golf and a vibration-absorbing polymer. These technologies make hitting our irons feel soft as warm butter on a hot biscuit and create a bigger sweet spot, which means more forgiveness, better distance, and lower scores. Play PXG and see how sweet, real power, and incredible forgiveness can be. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm going to go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're going to need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one. Gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz. Sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. Welcome back to Fairways Life Show. Pleasure to have your company. Lots of comments still pouring in. If you follow us, please make sure you subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, the Fairways of Life YouTube channel, which is easy enough to find. Just search YouTube Fairways of Life, and you're going to find it. Hit the subscribe button there. And weigh in if you want to. The, the messages, the you know whatever we're talking about, keep on pouring in. I'm not sure, Dom, if you heard anything in the last stuff we were talking about with Matt Fitzpatrick winning at Brookline at the country club and what happens in those instances where uh, – and it doesn't happen a lot, but there are major champions where 
their height of glory is what happened on that one week. And yes, it ends up defining them for the rest of their careers, but they were unable to do it again. And and sometimes, just again, I'm talking about winning, but in a lot of times, you know, major champions, you'll see that they'll win multiple times, but they were never, never able to win another major. That's why those questions get asked you know, about validating their, their, their position. Now I happen to think it's a, it's a little bit ridiculous because in the eyes of history, you want a major championship. You don't have anything to validate. You won. You are a major champion. That is a mark of distinction. You can carry with pride for the rest of your life and beyond. Right. Did you hear anything on that, Dom? Anything come in? Uh, yeah, Sean, Sean just wrote uh, Matt is a Matt Fitzpatrick, obviously. Is a birdie bogey machine. <laughs> Congrats to him. Well deserved. Jordan has never been the same since the meltdown at Augusta. A fidgety mess. Um, <laughs> man, we could do two hours on Jordan Spieth. One thing I will say that I think is interesting on Jordan Spieth, and I was I was talking to my wife when I was watching the final round yesterday about this. It is interesting how the best in the world question mark or some of the best to have ever played have sort of a different demeanor down the stretch. So if you think of tiger and his sort of stoicism, his, his steeliness, his coldness, not reacting to anything. It almost feels like when Jordan, like especially at the end there, when Jordan finished the 18 holes, like to get into the playoff. I mean, it looked, it looked like he just ran a marathon. It looked like he's going through war or something. He's just like, he's blah, blah. He's like sweating. He's rubbing his eyebrows. <laughs> but he's still draining that putt. So I, it is interesting. Um, and I, one thing I will say, and that, that comment continues, by the way, Matt is no Danny Willett in reference to your win a major and never come back or whatever. I would, I would tend to agree that Danny Willett, or not Danny Willett, that Matt Fitzpatrick is, is sort of here to stay. He has moved into the top ten. He's number eight in the world now. He's eight in the world now, yeah. He, I would expect that he'll be on uh, – he's already been on two Ryder Cup teams, and I would think he's going to become a stalwart. I would expect him to see him to see him on the next two, three, four, five Ryder Cup teams. And he showed, without a shadow of a doubt, and I think we kind of already knew it after the U.S. Open, but he was playing some incredible golf under some ridiculous pressure yesterday, Matt. I mean, hitting six-footers to stay in a playoff, that shot on the 17th tee in the playoff. Remember, he teed off before Jordan did and just stuck it to 10 feet. I think a lot of us have, have, have come to expect that from Jordan. But I think a lot of people watching were expecting Matt Fitzpatrick to not hit as good a shot in that situation as he did. And then, of course, what he did on 18 on the third playoff hole, you know, to within inches. So, I mean, it's... That was a nine iron, by the way. Where here we are speaking I just about. Love, I love these designated events, Matt. This is this, this is awesome. I do too. To watch. I, I, I do Entertainment too. That's what started that whole conversation awesome. before was, you know, the designated events, and there there was a lot of, you know, people talking about whether they liked the designated events or not. I'm I'm on record when I was up at NBC with the day I was hosting the day the announcement came out. I was with uh, Anna Jackson. And I was like, eh, I'm not so sure about this in terms of how it affects the other events. And I still haven't changed my opinion on that relative to the means of accent and ascent, a- access and ascent, because I don't have any problem with them having a designated event. I just don't know why it needs to be a limited field. And I get the why they, they're, they're saying that it does. So you can go to your host, you can go to your, 
sponsor you can go to television and say, you're going to get the best players, and they're going to be there all four rounds, guaranteed. There's no miscut. You're not, you're not going to see uh, Rory McIlroy like he did at the Masters, shoot a 77 or Justin Thomas and disappear for, for the weekend. That's not going to happen. They're going to be there regardless. Okay, uh, I guess because they're stars, that's important, but does it fire you up when a star's at the bottom of the leaderboard with, with no reasonable shot to come back? If, if I mean, they have to, what, go 62-62 maybe? They catch the guys at the top maybe? All right, Dom just said maybe it's for the people on site too. I don't know. I just well, no, I think so, it's for the kids. If I bring my seven-year-old, he wants to see Jordan Spieth. He doesn't care if Jordan Spieth's in last place. That means yeah, nothing. They, to him. I guarantee you, Dom, they're not doing this for people on site. There's, there's no how many sporting events do anything that they're doing for the people on site. The people on site, the, the most generalized sporting events. Most I'm talking about like NFL. I remember taking my two boys. This was years ago. We went to a, a Red Sox game. And we had we had four tickets, me, Donna, the boys. We had four tickets, good good seats. But a radio station gave them to us. We were doing a promotion with the time when I was on the mostly on the green grass side of the business, running golf courses. And with the value of the tickets, the cost to park, which was forty dollars, uh, getting food for everybody. I had a couple of Guinness. It was at Fenway. It. It came out to, I added it up in my head, the total value of the day, and again, this would be if we had paid for the tickets, fairness, uh, was about $400 for a family of four. And now <laughs> I, I'm probably saying that to you, and you, you're laughing about it, Tom. I bet that that was a bargain compared to what some people pay. So I think when, oh, it, comes to, it, was, yeah. when it comes to people on site at sporting events, I think most of the teams have this idea of we're going to get everything we can. We're going to get all the corporate dollars that we can. We're going to get all the corporate boxes that we can. We're going to do all these things. Anything. I'm talking NBA, any of them. But the real money is coming in from the the media rights. Broadcast rights, primarily. That's where where they really start to count their dough. So if you can can get enough from your, your games, your home games, that it becomes material dollars, more power to you. But the real dollars are coming from from much, much bigger circles. Well, that's why they're showing a Jordan Spieth in last place because the average, the, the ratings will prove that if you're showing him hit shots when he's 15 shots back, more people will watch that than a person who's in fourth place on a leaderboard whose name no one's ever heard ever. Yep. That's right right or wrong. That's just what it is. That's That's how ratings work. That's how TV works. That's why... The Lakers get every national televised game, even though they're barely in the playoffs, because they drive the ratings. That's what people are turning on the TV to watch. They're not turning on the TV to watch the Sacramento Kings, even though they're way higher in the rankings and now, played way better all season. I got to ask you another question too. That that's because I, I listen to what people, what you guys say, and the the comment that Dom you said. About me or you guys? The ones, the <laughs> you ones. To me? You guys, you know a guy. <laughs> Dom read the comment, and the guy said, Matt Fitzpatrick's no Danny Willett. And I've been thinking about that. You know, Danny Willett wins the Masters. This just I'm just going to go through some, some of what Danny Willett has done in his career, and then you tell me if, if Danny Willett represents one of these kind of one-hit wonders. That's, my, that's not what the, what the person wrote in, but I'm, I'm using that phrase to kind of summarize. Wins the Masters. 2019, he won the BMW PGA Championship. 
2018, he won the DP World Tour Championship in Dubai. 2016, he won the Omega Dubai Desert Classic. And 2014, won the Ned Bank Golf Challenge. In 2015, the Omega European Masters. He finished third in the 2015 World Golf Championships Cadillac Match Play. He won the 2021 Alfred Dunhill Lynx Championship. He won the 2012 BMW International Open. He finished second in 2010 at the Alfred Dunhill Lynx Championship. Uh, At the World Golf Championships Cadillac Championship, remember, cast your minds back. 2016, he finished a tie for third. The BMW Championship another time in 2016, he finished third. At the Fortinet Championship in 2022, remember he missed that short putt and ended up sealing his fate. He finished second. So nearly won on the PGA Tour as late as last year. WGC HSBC Champions, he finished third. That was in 2015. The Italian Open, he has a second place finish. The 148th Open, which in 2019, just in 2019, that Royal Port Rush, he finished tied for sixth. The 144th Open, which is in 2015, he finished tied for sixth. The BMW Championship in 2010, fifth. I'm just going through his top finishes. And again, is it fair for us to say, you know, he's no Danny Willett when you've got Danny Willett that just from what I've researched right here, I'm looking at, I've got one, yeah, two, but what's three, your barometer, four, five, man? six, seven, eight wins. Uh, my barometer is winning. One, winning a major championship. Two, backing up your victory of the major championship with wins on major tours. And I'm going to include the DP World Tour, formerly known as the European Tour, and uh, kicking around the dirt and coming close. Second place finished just last year at the Fortinet Championship on the PGA Tour. So that's my criteria. My criteria is, are you competing against the best in the world? And how you fare against the best in the world? I and think he's, that he's a multiple time winner. I mean, I, I, not that we're not we're not obliged to, you know, cover the back of Danny Willett. I just it, that comment just seems odd to me because I don't think it's fair to Danny Willett. I think he's he's had a very distinguished career with a lot of wins. I, mean, I would he, tend to he agree definitely with went you. through his valleys. Yes, I would. I, I I would tend to agree completely with you. But I think where where he's coming from, and I think a lot of people are coming from in terms of a baseline or a spectrum is we tend to identify the world's best by uh, some semblance of a consistency at the absolute highest level over a stretch of years. And I think that's where they're coming from. In other words, I think everybody will admit or should admit that the PGA Tour right now and for a while is the best golf in the world. There's more value in winning a PGA Tour event than there is winning a DP World Tour event or a live golf event for that matter. Or any other tour, yeah. They're the number one tour in the world. That is correct. It's the number one tour in the world. So winning on that tour has more weight than winning on any other tour. And so I think what that person probably meant is that, listen, he didn't win 10 times on the PGA Tour. He just won the Masters one time. So, yeah, he won some DP World Tour events. Now, I don't agree with what he's saying. I agree with what you're saying, but I'm saying that – the world of sport these days only seems to identify uh, quality and greatness on an uneven, unbalanced scale. In other words, unless you're the Warriors and you're a dynasty or you're LeBron and you make it to a million straight finals, it's like, yeah, that player's good or that golfer's good, but they're not great. So I think that the, the scale is a little messed up because as you and I know, having, having done this for so many years and 
I've been lucky enough to get to know a lot of players that have won at the highest level. To win a professional golf event like Spencer Levine did yesterday on the Corn Ferry Tour at the Veritex Championship is an unbelievable accomplishment. Well, it's it, also cannot, his first win in 15 years on You a, just a can't stress enough tour. how unbelievably good you are at golf to win a professional event on any tour. So the, the scales are a little bit screwy when you're talking about stuff like this. Because you can have someone on one end who's like, oh, LeBron's the best because he's been to like a million finals and this player over here is okay. Oh, Danny Willard, yeah, he's all right. He won the Masters once. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, winning one time on any tour is unbelievable. If you met is, but Spencer as I, Levine as I on the Metro I, I, I get your, he's the best golfer point, you've ever yeah. met in your life. I know. I get Thank you. All uh, I'm saying is in, in Danny Willard's case, he's won a lot more than once. The BMW PGA Championship is the European Tours flagship event. So you, you're going to have, if you had world ranking points by comparison there, that'd be pretty deep for them. The DP World Tour Championship in Dubai in 2018 was going to have all the big names, many of whom are the big names in the world of golf right now. Right? So he's won against Stout Field. So I understand where you're coming from to go, yeah, I mean, a win is a win, and that's great, but some of those wins are on other tours and et cetera, et cetera. Look at his performance in these World Golf Championship events that I mentioned to you. So all I'm saying is that I, I don't think that 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 writer was trying to diminish the other tours in contrast to what you're saying and what he performed those tours. I just think it was a lack of knowledge of what he actually accomplished. And I just wanted to say, and he's actually accomplished a lot. He wouldn't be the one that I'd, be, I'd, be, that I'd put in that category. Uh, I, I would have to look up the actual ledger but there has been players in the last couple of decades, maybe maybe a little more than that. I'll get into be uh, like uh, Dom just said. Michael Campbell in my headset. We'd have to look up Michael Campbell's record, but I don't remember Michael being prolific in any other area. Uh, Steve Jones, a U.S. Open champion, uh, Sean McKeel, uh, etc. Which doesn't take away from the fact that they won a major championship. Full credit to them. Full credit. They are major champions, and they deserve that title. They did what they had to do at the time they had to do it, and they closed it out. Dom, you're you're correcting yourself? You're looking up Michael Campbell? I am correcting myself. This is before my time, really. I mean, he he was uh, prolific, if you want to say, in the sort of uh, very early 2000s on the European tour. He won eight times on the European tour. (laughs) That's to your point with Danny Willett, right? How many uh, you were going over Danny Willett? How many European tour wins did he have? Oh, I'd have to recount about it, similar number, right? Pardon me. Wasn't it a similar number? Like eight? Uh, yeah, probably. I, I, I'm gonna just for the sake of Masters. Well, Michael as Campbell it, won both prolific so one, on two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. Yeah, exact same. Well, I mean, it shows you my stupid U.S.-centric point of view. Michael Campbell won seven times on the PGA Tour of Australasia in the late 90s, worked his way onto the European Tour, where he won an additional eight times between basically 2000 and 2005-ish. So this guy's got 15 professional wins right around his peak between those two tours when he's playing his best golf of his career. He plays in the U.S. Open and wins it. It's just that I've got... I I thought, right, you're you're saying what you said, and I'm like, oh, yeah, 
Michael Campbell, that's right. He never won anything because I'm thinking from this like ridiculous U.S. point of view, the guy's a prolific champion worldwide. Yeah, and in Steve Jones, who I brought up, again, there's, there's, you know, call it where it is. When you look at what Steve Jones accomplished, you go, that's totally wrong that I would bring him up in that context too because Steve won eight times on the PGA Tour. Dom just said it's more than Ricky Fowler. Would you say that? I don't know if you said that on the air or not, Dom, but yeah. No, I didn't, but he's got a major and eight wins. Ricky doesn't have a major or eight wins. <laughs> yeah, and they had uh, good performances in other major championships as well. So, you know, you look at you look at eight wins, which is incredibly stout. Let me see what his eight wins were. Just uh, He won at Pebble Beach in a playoff over a fellow – Major champion in Bob Tway. Let's see. Money Tournament of Champions in 89. Bob Hope Chrysler Classic over Paul Lazinger and Sandy Lyle in a playoff. He won the Canadian Open 89 by two strokes over Burroughs, Kalkovecchia, and Hurlbut, Mike. Of course, he won that U.S. Open in 96 uh, by one stroke over Tom Lehman and Davis Love III. He won the Phoenix Open by 11 strokes, holy cow, 62, 64, 65, 67 back in 97. 11-stroke win over next golfer, which was uh, Jesper Parnovic. In September 97, he won the Bell Canadian Open by one stroke over Greg Norman. And in 98, he won the Quad Cities Classic by a stroke over Scott Gump. Playoff record 2-1. and one. You heard me talking about the playoffs that he won there. Wow, very, very impressive. Yep, so credit where credit is due as we go down this road. Okay, uh, Earl Forsey and John Rollins anchored the coverage for PGA Tour Radio of the RBC Heritage. Uh, PGA Tour Radio can be heard week in and week out on the PGA Tour app and on PGATour.com, and those two places work worldwide, and they are for free. Uh, or if you subscribe to the National Satellite Service, Sirius XM. So, gents, uh, it was quite a week. The week following the Masters, a designated event, an incredible field, an exciting leaderboard, and just to make sure that everybody was on the edge of their seats, of course, a playoff. Matt, thanks. What a finish we had at Harbortown Golf Links on Sunday for the RBC Heritage. Our analyst was a three-time winner on the PGA Tour, John Rollins. John, we saw our battle down the stretch between U.S. Open champ Matt Fitzpatrick and the defending champion, Jordan Speed, they decided things in the playoff, and Fitzpatrick gets it done thanks to a great shot on the third hole of sudden death. Yeah, what a dramatic finish that was. We knew it was going to come all the way down to the wire with the great leaderboard that we had uh, here this week. We knew something special was going to happen, but, boy, did Matt Fitzpatrick deliver a beauty there on the third playoff hole, that uh, second shot there at 18 to within a foot of the hole for him to get his second win on the PGA Tour. Boy, and Spieth had his chances, John. He has never defended a title on the PGA Tour. He came as close as you can come uh, this weekend, nearly got it done. There's a couple of putts he wish he had. Uh, that would have won it late on Sunday. Disappointing for him to finish, but another great week in Hilton Head for Jordan Spieth. Yeah, a lot of positives you take uh, from Jordan Spieth. I know afterwards, uh, you know, he said that obviously he wished it would have been a different outcome, so he's a little disappointed, uh, which you would expect uh, from a competitor like Jordan Spieth, but did a lot of great things. Just couldn't quite get the putts to fall right there at the end 
when he when he needed some to go down. But uh, all in all, a great week for the defending champion. And John, something else uh, you talked about. What a field uh, this week at Harbortown Golf Links. This was the eighth of those designated events on the PGA Tour this season, and it really delivered, especially on Sunday. Well, they they've all delivered, Earl, and I think it's uh, it's great what the PGA Tour has done with these designated events. It's bringing all the great players together in one spot. That uh, what we've all wanted to see, and like you said, they have delivered. We had another great leaderboard, another great finish here. So. Uh, a lot of good stuff happening in these designated events, and I think uh, everyone's pleased to see uh, kind of what's going on. A lot of excitement on Sunday in South Carolina, Matt. Now coming up this week, a unique week as we have team competition coming up at the Zurich Classic of New Orleans. Very much looking forward to your coverage of the Zurich Classic of New Orleans, gents. Thank you, Earl Forsey and John Rollins. Uh, as I mentioned to you before, we heard from the gents. You can listen to PGA Tour Radio week in and week out of every PGA Tour event. Now, Matt Fitzpatrick was asked a variety of questions in the press room. If you were watching the program a few moments ago, you heard me talk about the fact of, well, do you feel like this win validates your U.S. Open win, which is a weird question I get. But I also understand the context in which it was asked. So I'm very curious uh, to share uh, and excited to share uh, Matt Fitzpatrick's answer with you. So he was asked about how excited he is to be moving on to New Orleans and the fact that he'll be playing with his brother in the week that lies in store. Do you like that the event uh, is positioned right after the Masters? How does he feel about that? Because there's so much talk about that coming in, particularly about the players and how tired they are and all this, all the second. Uh, he was asked about what was the rhyme or reason for going back and forth between the cross-handed uh, chipping that he does, the little pitching that he does, where he takes his left hand low, which is very unusual for players of that level. Uh, he's, he was asked about this event and whether he feels that this event could be stay a designated event moving on down the road, because I am hearing from some events that are designated events this year, which means, among other things, that the sponsor is willing to, as the PGA Tour players continue to use the phrase, step up. And if the sponsors are willing to step up, in other words, write a larger check, does that mean that they stay a designated event year after year? Or will there be other sponsors from other events that are going, hey, there's only such so much room here. And we want one of those chairs. We want to make sure we're in there, too. Uh, he was asked, did your mentality change at all throughout the round once you lost the lead? Did he get more aggressive, in essence? Did you feel that the crowd seemed to be pulling harder for Spieth down the stretch? Which I don't think there was any question about that. But it's it, it's interesting question and answer there, of which you won't hear the questions. That's why I'm reviewing it for you now. You'll hear the answer from him uh, for, for the case of uh, being succinct. Uh, but, yeah. And again, I, I always think about that, especially in a Ryder Cup year, right? now. And I bring that up all the time, and I know some people kind of roll their eyes a little bit and go, oh, it's months away, please. But in a, in a Ryder Cup year, in the popularity of Jordan Spieth, et cetera, these things do carry on to me. They, they, they have an impact. Didn't it kind of feel? I mean, you go to a playoff, it's definitely mano a mano, but it kind of felt that way for a while yesterday afternoon. He was asked about taking the, the media through the emotions of missing the putt on 17 in regulation, then hitting the approach at 18 the second time around in the, in the playoff, which was incredible from 187. He was asked about the fact, you probably, probably heard this, he and his family used to, used to vacation there lots of times. 
So again, this kind of connection, just like we had at Brookline from that standpoint, he was asked that when you came here as a kid, did you ever dream of following and follow those footsteps as an Englishman to win the event? He was asked to take through, take everyone through the emotions that he had through the playoff. He was asked about now being a career best number eight in the world rankings. What does it mean to him to have ascended that high? Top 10 in the world. And then this. What does it mean to get your first PGA Tour non-major win right here at Hilton Head where you visited so many times when you were growing up? Uh, yeah, I think I can retire now. Um, yeah, this, this one is the one that I've always wanted to win. Um, any golf tournament, you know, uh, other, other than the majors, of course, you know, there, there isn't a higher one on my list than to win this one. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the truth. My, my family can tell you that and my friends can tell you the same thing. This place is just a special place for me and, um, you know, means the world to have won it. Yeah, obviously, I felt like I got off to a slow start. I uh, didn't play much in the fall and, um, you know, this, this gives me a huge boost. Um, this really, you know, cements my place up there in the top 30 for tour championship and um you know that's that's the goal is to always make it there of course and um as well as you know getting as high up on the world rankings as possible for me the majors are the goals and um you know winning tournaments like this is obviously is is also also the goals it's for me after last year it's kind of a, a thing for me just to you know play as well i can as i can each week and um you know just keep working hard on my game to try and improve yeah, I felt, you know, I felt like, um, you know, Jordan played really well today. Um, didn't really hit many bad shots, if any. And um, I think in the playoff, I felt every putt he hit was going to go in. I, I think, but I'll be honest, I just feel like that all the time. If if you play, I don't play with him much, but he's the person that does that. You know, um, everyone calls it. They they play speedy. You know, Jordan Spieth just does different things. Um, and uh, I always had that in the back of my mind. So the putt they hit in the first playoff, obviously, um, had a, a very, very good look. And um, and then same with the second hole. And then, obviously, the, the, the third one, I, it was a perfect number for us. And I uh, just hit a great shot. And, um, you know, to, to finish where it did, obviously, uh, made it a little bit easier. Yes and no, I guess. Um, I don't feel like, you know, I don't. I feel like winning the U.S. Open is probably enough. Um, but you know, I think I'm sure people are going to be like, "Oh, this golf course suits him perfectly as well." You know, this is. But if you look at my results here, then they, that's not necessarily the case. I've missed the cut a few times. I've finished middle of the pack a couple times, and I've had some good finishes. So, um, you know, I just feel like I played really well this week, and um, I felt solid coming in after the weekend. Uh, of last week and um you know just took it through in, into the rest of the week and as a kid not not really you know i i always remember coming here and uh saying to my dad you know where's is tiger gonna be in it here and my dad was like oh no T- tiger's not playing this week and i seem to remember that happening a lot um so it was only ever when i came here i was always looking for tiger but uh i, I remember a f- i remember a few guys that uh you know, when, when I came here as a kid, to, that I ended up, you know, seeing out there. Um, but uh, to me, just winning this tournament because of the the history that m- me and my family have here is is what means the world to me. So, um, you know, that, that's why this is so special. Yeah, obviously, 17 in regulation. Uh, I obviously had a chance there to go one up with one to play, and um, 
it was just a really strange putt. I, I thought I saw it downhill right to left, and Billy thought he saw it pretty straight. And then kind of looking at it, I felt the grain was into out the left, so we kind of went straight, and uh, it moved left to right. So it kind of, Billy was a lot closer than I was. Um, and then in terms of 18, I, I felt like the shot that I hit was was right down it from the moment it left the club face. I thought it was the we knew it was the perfect number for the club. And then um, I knew it was good because my mum and my girlfriend were uh, jumping up and down uh, with their arms in the air. So I, I knew it must have been must have been decent. So you know, it's obviously it, it, when you're the underdog or the you know the person that everyone else you, the, everyone's not rooting for. It's obviously is a little bit sweeter when, when you do win. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, but, you know, I, I felt like I had a lot of support out there myself. Um, you know, obviously, the USA and the, the speed chants were, were louder. Um, but there was de I definitely had support out here, and I felt that because of, you know, my connection here. So, um, but, yeah, it, it was uh, it was very, very nice to, to win, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't do any attacking. I just, you know, I, I just stuck to my game plan uh, all along I didn't change we, we were hitting the same target same shots as we did all week um, the big thing for me that I feel like I've learned when I play well is, is just having patience you know just, just letting it happen and just give myself time you know at the end of the day the final round's over 18 holes if you caught up in five holes things can change in the next three holes so you know I just felt as long as I could hang on not hang on but as long as I was within two shots going into the back nine um, I was easily with it, in, in with a shout. I, I know I can play the back nine well. Um, you know, I, it's it's a hard golf course. There's no doubt about that. And you got to hit good good golf shots at the right times. And um, you know, fortunately for me, made a great putt 16, great shot seven. Uh, sorry, great putt on 15, great shot on 16. Again, good shot 17 and good shot 18, and just you know managed to make the get in the playoff and, and go from there. I honestly don't know. I was supposed to fly with Keegan Bradley and Patrick Rogers at uh, 7 o'clock, so I told them to carry on. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll probably just stay here tonight and, um, you know, hopefully go for, go for dinner, probably have a dessert. Um, and and that's, yeah, that's, that's as uh, exciting as it gets, I guess. But it's just nice to, you know, I'm lucky. I've got my family, friends here, my girlfriend here, and um, that just makes it very special. T totally, yeah. You know, I, I feel like this event... I'm going to be biased, you know, but I'd like to think the miscuts allow me to be, you know, non-biased, I guess. Um, but I feel like it's a great event. You know, you've seen the crowds out there this this week. I feel like they've been really good. Um, I feel like, you know, ticket sales probably also really good. Um, it's a great town to have a golf tournament. Um, the golf course is fantastic. It really is a true test. And it's different to what we play week in, week out. You know, it really is. And um, I think it deserves a good field. I think, you know, the fact that, that John Rahm came after winning the Masters, I think is probably a testament to the tournament as well as a testament to himself for, you know, for, for doing that. So, yeah, I really hope it is a, uh, an elevated event next year. And um, I think it's, it's a great place to have one. Yeah, I didn't think I was very good at it today, to be honest. Um, it, it, normally inside, if I've got to land it inside 30 yards, I, I'll go, I'll, I'll chip cross-handed. Um, outside of that, I tend to go normal grip just because I can't really get the speed. Um, I also can't get the spin from anything, you know, outside of that. Or if I have to play a high shot, I can't get the spin either um, going cross-handed. So 
um, that's when I might have to go normal grip. I think it's a it's a great time in the year to have it here, you know, weather-wise, con- golf course condition-wise. I think it is, I, I have to admit, previously, um, I feel like it's been a heavier toll on me than it has this week. Not really sure why that is. Um, I always, you know, probably before winning the US Open, um, before last year really, probably got maybe overworked up at majors, you know, that desperate to try and win one, just changing things, trying to trying a bit harder, probably, you know, made myself tired from that. And then you come to this week and, you know, it's, um, you feel, yeah, you just feel feel tired from the, the week before. Um, so I think sometimes it, it can be tough, particularly if you've, you really had a grind, um, you know, if you had a good result. I think it can be difficult and to get yourself up for it. Um, but for me, it's, it is a little bit different. It, it's a week that I enjoy and, and, you know, I came into this week feeling that my game was, you know, making positive strides and, um, but my goal was to enjoy this week. I, I just wanted to enjoy it. My family's here, my girlfriend's here, and I really did want to just make sure that that was the, that was the big thing. Even more excited to go now. Um, you know, I was really excited. That's kind of was one of my thoughts going into today. You know, just enjoy today. It's, it's a great challenge, great opportunity to go out and try and win. And, um, you know, fortunately managed to do that and, and then just look forward to the, you know, my plan was to enjoy today and look forward to next week. And uh, now I can really enjoy next week. And, um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think we're going to have a good week. All right, so Matt Fitzpatrick addressing the media. Many of those really interesting questions that I was reading to you guys before he spoke, you get a chance to hear it. Cool one, too, about how excited he is about playing with his brother this week. The Fairways of Life show is incredibly excited to announce that we have partnered with Zero Friction, and we are so proud to be representing this company that offers a vast array of products to golfers of all ability levels and whatever those certain areas of golf that you might need something. And you may be thinking, what areas would that be? Maddie, I'm talking about areas including your golf carts. They have the Wheel Pro Push Cart, which is a three-in-one golf bag. It is a stand bag, a cart bag, and a push cart all in one. Cannot be more convenient. Uh, Again, you can put it on a cart if you want to, but if you're one that likes to carry your bag or if you are one that likes to uh, have wheels attached to it, which you can see how easy that the wheels pop on and pop off and the handle kicks back up so that you can push it around the golf course. It is so easy to use this Wheel Pro Push Cart uh, three-in-one golf bag. They also have what's called the Stride Golf Bag, and this was something that we paid a lot of attention to at the PGA Merchandise Show because this is an automated cart that follows you around. Check that out, folks. How cool is this? Now that you see this, how many of you are out there going, yeah, I want that. I want that right now. That's, this is what the Zero Friction offers. They also have an incredible selection of gloves, of golf balls, of tees, all those things you need to be able to play your golf and really cool things like the Stride Golf Bag. All you have to do to see all of this and more is head over to zerofriction.com, zerofriction.com. See exactly what John Icono, the president and founder of Zero Friction, has built with his great company that we are so, so excited and so proud to be representing right now. Zerofriction.com, a part 
of the Fairways of Life family. Folks, thank you very much for your company today. It was a pleasure as ever and always, and we look forward to sharing it again tomorrow. We have multiple guests planned on tomorrow's show as we march towards the weekend, and we wish you and hope that you have a great Monday. Until then, goodbye for now.